Hi fellow Morris and other listeners, welcome to this episode of the Morris Association of St Marceline Champagne's podcast. I'm Tracy Blay from the membership team and today I'm presenting a collection of readings from the August edition, can you believe it, August edition of Christ Life. To read the full edition, check your email inboxes from last Wednesday the 16th of August or go to the association website myristassociation.org.au and click on the news menu tab or scroll down the home page to the latest news. Now, this episode, our editorialist Jenny Miller would like us to consider what actions we can take to help reduce global warming. Jenny is chair of the Laudato Sea Action Committee for the Star of the Sea province and invites association members to contact her with ideas which could lead us to forming small Marist Earth movement groups. How exciting is that? We also have a special contribution from Paul Brooks, who has a role with Marist Schools Australia, about his experience in a pilot program to work alongside teachers and staff and the children in Timor-Leste to develop their English language skills. Paul was accompanied by five Australian teachers from Marist Schools, and in his recording presents three of their reflections on their experiences of the program. And I invite you, particularly if you work in schools, to listen to this special content. I'd also like to let association members in Inner-West and Eastern Sydney know that there are regional gatherings planned for your local groups, both to take place on 31st of August. So check your Christ Life email for full details. Okay, listeners, grab a cuppa, settle into your seats, and let's go. The era of global warming has ended. The era of global boiling has arrived. Hi, everyone. My name is Jenny Miller. I am the Sydney Regional Marist Youth Ministry Coordinator and a member of the Marist Association. I'm also the chair of the Dato Sea Action Committee for the province. That short soundbite was from Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General for the UN, at a recent press conference. I am grateful for the chance to contribute to the August editorial for Christ Life, as I'd like to invite you to form a coalition of the willing or to be part of a Marist movement to reduce global warming. In his 2015 encyclical, Laudato Si, Pope Francis invites all people of goodwill to hear the cry of the poor and the cry of the earth. This year's Marist theme, created and called urges us to lead a revolution of love and tenderness. Have you ever thought to include our environment in this revolution of love and tenderness? Antonio Guterres reminds us, like Pope Francis, that we must care for our common home, but we must care for it now. It can be overwhelming, but we can reduce global warming by one major action. Do you know that natural gas is actually methane gas? We have been led to believe that natural gas is a clean energy source. Unfortunately, nothing could be further from the truth. This is greenwashing at its best. Natural gas, methane, is anything but a clean source of energy. The dirty truth is. Methane is a greenhouse gas causing global warming, 
second only to carbon dioxide emissions from fossil fuels. Methane gas emissions from human actions is responsible for more than 25% of today's warming. But it's not all bad news. The good news is, according to the major climate report released by the United Nations in 2021, cutting methane emissions is the quickest way to slow climate change in the near term. This is where we come in. Methane gas is produced from fossil fuels, cattle, and rotting waste. There is one easy way to reduce methane gas emissions. Do you know that waste sites could cut about 35% of methane emissions by reducing organic waste sent to landfill sites? How can I reduce organic waste to landfill, I hear you ask. One word. Composting. It is as simple as getting a bin, adding some soil, dead leaves and food scraps. The only rules, don't throw in garlic, onions or citrus fruit and turn the waste regularly. In return, you'll get the most fertile soil going around. But what if I live in an apartment? Good question. So if you live in an apartment, some councils have a FOGO program. F-O-G-O stands for Food Organics garden organics. This program collects organic waste from curbside bins and prevents it going into landfill. If you don't have this service in your neighbourhood, you may like to lobby your local council for this service. Other ways to reduce methane emissions include eating all the food on your plate and plan your weekly meals to prevent wastage. There is still time and therefore hope and there are so many actions that we can do as a collective. At MIM Sydney, we post weekly small environmental actions, encouraging our young people to make a difference where they can. Follow or lowercase mym underscore Sydney on Instagram or Marist Youth Ministry hyphen Sydney on Facebook for our simple Take Action Tuesday posts. Give us a like or share our posts with your school or others. As Antonio Guterres says, we must wake up and step up now. If you need more information or would like to form a coalition of the willing or start a Maris movement, please contact me on my email, jennifer with one n dot miller at maris.org.au or check out the Maris Association website under resources. Thank you and please take action. Partnership in Timor-Leste, a heart that knows no bounds. Hello there, my name is Paul Brooks and I'm the Human Resources Officer for Maris Schools Australia and the Maris Brothers Star of the Sea Province, based in Sydney. During the recent mid-year term break, six Australian primary and secondary teachers from Adelaide, Perth and Sydney accepted an invitation from the Catholic Institute for the Formation of Teachers, or ICFP, in Bacau, Timor-Leste, to participate in a pilot program to work alongside their teachers and staff and to develop their skills in the English language. Through a series of programmed lessons over eight days, the Australian teachers used a range of paper and digital resources with the teaching office and administrative staff to support their listening, speaking, reading and writing of English. A range of strategies, including worksheets, interactive conversation, games and songs 
all complemented the explicit instruction that was tailored to each participant's specific language needs. In addition to the support provided through the English language tutoring, the ICFP lecturers and tutors also sought assistance in developing their unit outlines, planning lessons, and expanding their range of teaching strategies to be used with the teachers in training. From the moment of the initial meeting with the staff at ICFP, there was a great sense of family spirit and community. And as the program progressed, there was a really noticeable level of enthusiasm and engagement permeating across the entire college. The openness, genuineness and humbleness of the Timor-Leste hosts who greeted their Australian friends each day with smiles and a strong desire and an eagerness to learn were matched by the passion and commitment of the teachers from Australia who relished the opportunity to engage with the staff in such a friendly and caring environment. It was truly wonderful to observe the heightened level of confidence displayed by the Timor-Leste staff in using the English language, whether through listening, speaking, writing or reading. The improvement that was demonstrated by each member of staff over the course of the program was most gratifying. Beyond the formal teaching and learning component of the program, the Australian teachers also gained insights into the historical context of Timor-Leste and the hosts generously helped those from overseas to gain a better understanding of the many cultural aspects of the country and its people. In a special way, we wish to give thanks to the ICFP Director, Brother Paul Gilchrist, and ICFP President, Brother Peter Corr, for their invitation to participate in the program and for their unwavering and highly valued support and guidance prior to and during the program. The staff from ICFP also deserve special mention for the manner in which they enthusiastically embraced the opportunity and always displayed great enthusiasm and commitment. Brother Paul Gilchrist described the program this way. The project has been a great success and provided such a good learning experience for so many staff. Already it is obvious that the participants are much more confident in expressing themselves in English. It was a special time for ICFP. And one of the Australian teachers used these words to describe the program. This has been a life-changing experience, possibly the highlight of my vacation as a teacher, one that I won't forget. We've asked a few of the participating teachers from Australia to share a few of their reflections about their own experience. And I'd now invite you to continue listening as we hear from them. My name is Sonia Brownridge. I'm a Marist working as a teacher librarian and learning enrichment teacher at Sacred Heart College Adelaide. I'd like to share some reflections as a participant in the Timor-Leste Partnership Trial Program. When asked what was the best part of the Timor-Leste pilot program, I found it very hard to narrow things down. Everything was the best. It was truly a memorable program full of adventures and experiences. Meeting and working with the staff at the ICFP, they were just so enthusiastic to get started and to work with us each and every day. The excitement and the engagement could be felt across the college as we turned up each and every day. The sense of family spirit with all of us coming together to share our skills and know what we're make, and know that we're making a difference in Timor Leicester. Playing with the children at Fatamaka, such joy in their laughter and cheekiness. 
the hope in the staff at Catalosa to bring in education to all children is expiring. I've also reached out to a friend who has learnt Braille to see if she's got any resources that could help that community do more. To see the new Marist College Timor Leste rising from the ground at Lautem and the future it promises for the surrounding communities just makes you want to go back and see it all come together and feel hope for the Timorese people. Our lunchtimes, coming together and sharing our successes and challenges of the morning or previous day's lessons. Our goal was to build conversational English skills in its participants, and I think we certainly did that. I also believe that we were taught so much as we walked to and from the college, practising our greetings with the school students, people in the street. Everyone was so patient and generous with their time. Overwhelmingly, the responses from the participants we worked with were positive, and I also think we achieved much more. We created a sense of family in everyone and encouraged that spirit to grow so that they could support one another after we headed home. As a trial program, I think the level of professionalism demonstrated and the want or maybe need to do our very best was a shining star each and every day. It was a truly lived example of Marceline's wish to bring an education to all and to be part of that wider Marist family. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to meet and work with such a generous Marist community. Hey, my name is Deandra Dessau and I am a full-time primary school teacher at St Luke's Catholic School Reevesby and I'd love to share some reflections as a participant in the Team or Lest Partnership Program. Team Olest is such a wonderful place with remarkable people who really strive to learn more, become better and truly trust in God to guide them on their journey of life. I initially applied for this program purely to reach out and help others to learn and develop their skills of the English language. But what I wasn't expecting is the personal and professional growth I'd experience when embarking on this program. As well as the healthy reminders of appreciating the simple things in each and every day. We were able to teach a range of skills within reading, writing, speaking and listening. Thankfully, the other participants on the program were like-minded, passionate teachers who naturally shared great insights, experience, knowledge and resources. We quickly became a collaborative team committed to helping our students accomplish their learning goals as well as to seek the success of this program. It was amazing to see how quickly our students at ICFP would pick up new skills of reading, writing and speaking taught to them. This meant that each day would evolve quickly and we would plan for ways to further extend our students and ensure that we were meeting their needs. The students reminded me that we can learn so much better with being cheerful, having a positive attitude and being resilient when challenges arise. These are qualities I admire and hope to model and share with my primary students in Sydney. Although I came to help empower and equip my students in Timor with new skills of the English language, I have walked away with learning more and respecting the Marist brothers, their partners and the projects that they undertake. Personally, coming from a primary school within the Sydney Diocese, I'm an outsider looking into the incredible community and world of the Marist Brothers. 
The brothers were so welcoming, genuine, and selfless, giving of their time and accommodating. I really enjoyed seeing the school currently in the process of being built and hearing about their aim to build a school for children, helping the local community with their projects. I honestly loved every single moment of this experience and definitely recommend each person to get more involved and volunteer. Such a great opportunity to help others and to have some personal growth in there too, while exploring the world and meeting new people. Maybe even apply for this program next year. Signing off, Deandra. Hello, my name is Lucy Lane and I work at Newman College in Perth, Western Australia. I had the opportunity to travel to Timor-Leste as part of the pilot program to assist the staff at the Teachers Catholic College in Bacau to improve their conversational English and the teaching of English. I decided to apply for this program as I felt it was important to lead by example and show my students what social justice in action can look like and that through the Maris family, we have such opportunities to contribute to society. There's no doubt that the best part of the experience was finding that the family spirit of the Marists is truly alive and vibrant. From the moment we walked into the college buildings, we were greeted by the brothers and our students as though we were more than just honoured guests, but part of the Timor-Leste community. We formed strong friendships, had many laughs, and made memories to last a lifetime. As well as teaching, we also got the opportunity to see the ongoing work of the Maris brothers in education in the Bacau area, the new school development at Lao Tem, and the Catalosa School for Students with Disabilities. On our return to Australia, we are continuing to connect and teach the staff through Zoom, a learning experience for all of us. It is wonderful to keep that connection with the Timor-Leste people and see how the programme is developing. This was an amazing adventure of teamwork, learning and new experiences. Thanks everyone for sharing your reflections. Truly the work of the Catholic Institute for the Formation of Teachers over the past two decades continues to be testimony to the original inspiration for the project, which is reflected in the motto, a heart that knows no bounds. The program now moves from the intensive in-country experience to regular online tutoring sessions with the same staff over the next six months. And already these sessions have proven to be very popular with the staff. And as a result of this highly successful pilot, the program will expand in 2024 and it will include two separate groups. Interested staff should look for information about this wonderful opportunity which is being communicated in recent days to schools. Thanks for listening, and we hope that you've enjoyed hearing about this program. I'm Brother Bob O'Connor from the Brothers Community at Marcelin House Randwick in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, formerly on the staff at the Hermitage Retreat Centre at Mittagong. This is our podcast for Christ Life, August 2023. Have you ever noticed that there is no mention of Miriam of Nazareth, our Mary, being present at the crucifixion in any of the synoptic gospels, not in Matthew, Mark or Luke, yet she looms large in John's. If you're like me, for many years anyway, and as I've found for many other good practicing Christians of all traditions, 
we've not really noticed, ever wondered why. Perhaps some may be aware that John's gospel is, as many scholars attest, quote, drenched in theological and symbolic interpretation, unquote. Reread the Passion story in the Synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you'll see that a couple of Marys get a mention of being present at the crucifixion. The Magdalene, and then Mary, quote, the mother of Jacob and Joseph, etc. Now, at one level, we might all consider it extraordinary that the victim's mother, especially one so connected to Jesus through his young life and years of ministry, was not present at his execution. So is there another reason, perhaps, why the synoptics failed to mention her, the victim's mother, quite specifically? And Margaret Hevelthwaite, a well-known English uh, journalist and scholar, wrote in a recent edition of the tablet, in fact, the edition of 8th of April 2023, in a lovely article simply called, Was She There?, writes, and I quote, some scholars favor the idea that, quote, Mary, the mother of Jacob or James and Joseph and Joseph mentioned in the synoptics was in fact Jesus' mother and perhaps was named elusively rather than raise uncomfortable questions about her perpetual virginity and having had other children. St. John Chrysostom, one of the great doctors of the Eastern Church, was among a number of scholars in the last 50 years or so, uh, sorry, he was much earlier than I apologise, but who've raised this question that this is simply a, 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 an elusive way to mention that um, Mary in, was indeed present at Jesus' crucifixion. So in the last 50 years, a large number of other scripture scholars have added, added their name to this theory. So they argue that while John's gospel has a different purpose to the synoptics, his account can be revealed to be historical events and not just fictional symbols. And Miriam, uh, Margaret Hevelthwaite quotes, and I quote, after all, the writer of the fourth gospel tells us that his account of what happened at the cross is indeed an eyewitness account. He who saw this has testified so that you may also believe his testimony is true in John 19, 35. So, our Miriam of Nazareth was present, but perhaps just presented and referred to as the mother of her other children. Hi everyone, Nathan O'Hearn from the Marist Mission and Life Formation Team, speaking to you about the annual moment of renewal. The Feast of the Assumption offers us another occasion to celebrate our annual moment of renewal. This gives us a chance to gather as a Maris family in our local groups and renew our call to be members of the association in a prayerful and reflective way. Mary of the Assumption teaches us to keep our eyes on the things of heaven, to develop a vision outside of ourselves and to be lifted up beyond the mundane to the internal life. Mary of the Assumption is a sign of what we can become if we are willing to let go of what we have planned for ourselves. In this moment of renewal, we recommit ourselves to following St. Marcelin as contemporary witnesses to Jesus and recognise that we become streams of living water for others, flowing through the personal, communal and ministry aspects of our lives. We invite you to make use of the annual moment of renewal reflection guide and excellent video resources 
that you can download for your local group. The Maris Mission and Life Formation team has also developed a prayer resource for groups to use on or around the feast day on the 15th of August. To learn more about the Feast of the Assumption, the person of Mary, and her influence on Christian tradition, visit our online learning modules at www.marisformation.org.au. It's Brother Michael Flanagan reading a reflection for the August Christ Life edition. Here are some thoughts on the Assumption. August always has within it the Feast of Mary's Assumption. It is the patronal feast of our Institute and an extremely significant reminder for all of us. Not that I think many of us understand it very much. On August 15, Catholics around the world mark the Feast of the Assumption of Mary, commemorating the end of her earthly life and Assumption into Heaven. The history of the feast stretches back to the earliest centuries of Christian belief. In 1950, Pope Pius XII made a statement in the Apostolic Constitution, Munificentissimus Deus, officially defining the meaning of the Assumption. And quote, By the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the blessed Apostles Peter and Paul, and by our own authority, we pronounce, declare and define it to be a divinely revealed dogma that the Immaculate Mother of God, the Ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heaven. There are many questions in my mind with this definition, but I'm not going to dwell on them here. Instead, I seek a simple path to understand and appreciate the significance of the assumption for us in the mainstream of life. Obviously, what stands out immediately is that Mary, a human being like us, is in heaven. That's remarkable. That's a sign of great hope for each and every one of us. There's a line in an old song that says, Have you ever loved somebody that you'll never see again? I suppose we can all answer yes, but the truth behind the assumption encourages a rephrase of that question. Have you ever loved somebody that you'll never see again in this life? The assumption allows us to believe that we will see again all those who have passed before us. When you stop and think about this, it's mind-blowing. Sister Joan Chittister sees Mary of the Assumption as a sign of what we can become. And quote, Mary of the Assumption's love of God lifted her far above the goals and gains of those who had never really seen the Christ for what he was, because their mind's eye was taken up totally with what they were themselves. Mary of the Assumption teaches us to keep our eyes on the things of heaven, to free ourselves from the fetters of anything lesser, 
to develop a vision outside of ourselves and to allow ourselves to be lifted up beyond the petty and the transient to the eternal and the unalloyed. Mary of the Assumption is a sign of what we can become if we are willing to let go of what we have planned for ourselves. Unquote. Mary shares her special day of August 15 with a few other saints, one of whom is largely forgotten. But for many Catholics of my era, he was a hero. Saint Tarsicius' story, whether truth or legend, was often told to us, and we admired him and were inspired by him. Why? Firstly, he was just a boy, 12 years old, when he was murdered. And secondly, because he displayed great courage and strength in fulfilling his mission. Here's the story. As legend or truth has it, Tarsicius was a 12-year-old acolyte during the time of the early Christian persecutions. At that time, Christians in Rome were celebrating the Eucharist in secret in the catacombs. After those secret masses, someone, a deacon or an acolyte, would carry the consecrated hosts to the sick and to prisoners. One day, after one of those secret masses, young Tarsicius was carrying the Blessed Sacrament to a prison when he was attacked by a mob. He refused to hand over the Blessed Sacrament, protected it with his own body and was beaten to death as a result. Mary and Tarsicius were both children when they were missioned and both carried out that mission faithfully and without waver. Of course, in their societies, childhood did not exist in popular consciousness as it does in our society today. They both paid a price for their commitment to ideals greater than themselves. Commitment means staying with something until it is finished. Not a sought-after ideal today, where many will stay with something until there's a better option or until we get tired of the hard work. Father Ron Rollheiser, in his archived column of December 2020, spoke of Tarsicius. He too was an admirer as a child, and he makes this comment. Quote, As well, one of the weaknesses in our churches today is that while we have vastly upgraded and refined our intellectual imagination and now have better and healthier theological and biblical studies, we struggle to touch hearts. We struggle to get people to fall in love with their faith and especially with their church. We struggle to inflame their romantic imagination as we once did by invoking the lives of the saints. Today, more than ever, we need inspiring stories about women and men, young and old, who have lived out heroic virtue. Unquote. No more inspiring a story than Mary's, of course, 
and a source of great hope for all of us. She carried Jesus to others, as did Tarsisius, as do we. May we not squander nor lose this gift that we carry, nor let it be stolen from us. Thank you. Hi everyone, I'm Nathan Ahern and this is my article, Maris A Called To Be. What do you want to be when you grow up? It's one of those questions we love to ask young children. I remember my primary school class being asked this question and was intrigued by the answers, ranging from firefighters, doctors, vets, actors and marine biologists. None of us actually knew what that was, but we thought it sounded great. In Charlie Mackesy's book, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse, the question, what do you want to be when you grow up, is asked of a young boy who responds simply with kind. It's a profound understanding of what we are called to be. Questions about who we aspire to be are often answered in favour of an emphasis on careers, training or skill. After a long and challenging career, a retiring politician announced to the media that he was looking forward to being a full-time father, husband and son. Some careers seem incompatible with the call to family life, with the assumption that one must be sacrificed to enable the other. What message does this send to our family and young people? Perhaps the question we should be asking of ourselves and others is not what do you want to be, but rather who? It's a decision we make. Our sense of self is central to who we are as Christians, and our daily choices reflect this reality. Presence and care for each other, seeking relationships founded on love, being attentive and welcoming with a sense of openness are hallmarks of what it means to be a Catholic teacher, social worker, administrator, caretaker, leader, nurse, youth minister, retiree, clergy, or religious. Our personal identity and vocational call can be so easily tied up with the work or ministry that consumes us from nine to five. However, Romans 8.28 reminds us that we are made for more. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. At the deepest level of our vocation, we are called to be children of God and to share his love with all we encounter. It seems that Oscar Wilde's advice to be yourself because everyone else is already taken is often adopted by the very young and the very old, but the years between are filled with a search for identity and purpose. In the Magnificat, we see Mary living her true identity, created and called to magnify the Lord with her whole being. Her life ignites transformation in others. In the pursuit of comfort and happiness, our faith reminds us that we are known and loved by the Creator and are called to do justice, love tenderness and walk humbly with our God. The 2023 Marist Association theme invites each of us to consider who we are created and called to be 
as revolutionaries of love and tenderness. Who do you want to be this week? To what is God calling you? Hello, this is Pat O'Reilly, Director of Mission Identity at Maris 180. And this is the August article for Christ's Life. This is the experience of my colleague director, Julie Collier, from the Mars Pilgrimage 2023. From the moment I was invited to join the 2023 Mars Pilgrimage, I was filled with a sense of gratitude and knew my experience would be incredible. I was unsure of what I may encounter. I simply followed my faith that the experience would open my soul and mind whilst developing my spiritual awareness. I met my fellow pilgrims at Mascot Airport and we shared introductions as we patiently moved through the security maze. We were full of excitement and anticipation that this journey would fulfil our minds and cultural curiosity, but most of all would enhance our spirituality. We developed instant connections within our group, boarded our plane and left the safety of Australian soil. We arrived in Amman in Jordan in the middle of a wild storm. We shared our first meal together, joining other pilgrims who had travelled solo to Amman. As a group, we began to learn about each other, sharing what we left behind and discussed some of the worries of travelling into the Middle East as there was notable political unrest. I reflected on Mary McKillop's writings to her mother Flora in 1867. Remember, we are but travellers here. My faith focused on the pilgrimage is an invitation to take on a pilgrim's spirit and discover new places and moments of encounter. I anticipated our journey would lead to new friendships and connections and would be an opportunity for personal spiritual growth. Our first night was in accommodation on the banks of the Dead Sea. It was, an incredible, it was incredible to wake to this scene. We travelled to Mount Nebo within Jordan where Moses went up to the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo. God told Moses he would view the promised land but would never enter. Detail in the Old Testament identifies Moses lived out his days in the Mount Nebo area. Moses' body is thought to be buried in this location and this is still being explored. We travelled by bus to the River Jordan. This was truly a moment of reflection as we gathered for prayer and were baptised in the same location as John the Baptist by our incredible Father Tom Stevens. The river, whilst muddied, created a silent backdrop as we shared in the remarkable baptism of each pilgrim within our group. We visited many holy sites within the Holy Lands as we meandered in and out of Israeli borders, encountering many security challenges. Each holy site held special specific significance to each pilgrim that incited deep and meaningful discussions and spiritual connection within the group. Some of the sites included the Church of the Primacy of Peter, the Joshua Tree, the Mount of Beatitudes and Capernaum, known as the City of Jesus. A highlight for many of us was the experiences at the Sea of Galilee, Tiberias. Whilst we attended daily Mass in many churches and locations, the backdrop of the Sea of Galilee was a natural, tranquil location 
where the waves lapped the shoreline and were spiritually calming. Father Tom's sermon was particularly soothing at the Sea of Galilee and signified one of the most unique places for Mass on the pilgrimage. Another incredibly holy site we shared was at Magdala, the hometown of Mary Magdalene. At Magdala, we observed a current archaeological dig site unearthing mosaic flooring dated to 1 AD. Most importantly was the artwork The Encounter, a painting by Daniel Cariola located in Magdala. This artwork portrays, portrays one of the most significant miracles in the Gospel. From Mark 5, 28-29 Because she thought if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. This artwork was absolutely incredible and it was at this point we identified as a group how challenging it will be to share our experiences with our family, friends and peers. We truly began to connect with each other as we shifted to a deeper spiritual and reflective space created by sharing in the pilgrimage experience. We travelled to Jerusalem and stayed within the walls of the old city, just inside the Jaffa Gates. We experienced a colourful mixture of cultures and religions as we were visiting during Easter. As this was a ceremonious time of the year, there was an increase in security with some serious safety concerns for the team leaders to observe. Our Holy Land journey took us to the Ain Karim, place of visitation, where Mary met with Elizabeth, both with child. On to Nazareth, to the synagogue church and the Basilica of the Annunciation. We visited Palestine to meet with students from the University of Bethlehem, sharing in their experiences and daily challenges. Our pilgrimage led us to the city of David and included a unique desert experience where we sat in solace in the harsh desert wilderness. This single experience shaped our spirituality and marked charism to deeply reflect on the space where we sat. Our silence facilitated opportunities to reflect on internal and external factors, the who and the why of all and everything or nothing. The experience included sitting in the very hot sand in isolation, with total quiet except for an occasional noise of a bleeding goat, the ring of a bell from around the goat's neck, or the calls from the shepherd as they led their goats through the mountain tracks. The pilgrims were dotted across the mountain ravines, some using umbrellas and clothing to shield the sun, ensuring they kept a lookout for venomous snakes and scorpions. The solitude was an incredibly calming, deeply moving experience, creating a deeper spiritual connection. As a group, we later shared our experience with the leaders and each other with a deep sense of respect, humility and gratitude. Staying within the Holy Lands created so many experiences beyond the intended spiritual connection and included the aromas of multiple spices, the tastes of Middle Eastern food, the richness of culture and a deeper understanding of the beliefs of others within the walls of the old city. We visited the Church of the Nativity, the Church of Dormition, the Garden of Gethsemane and shared in Jesus' journey of the Stations of the Cross. Our group sang hymns, 
prayed together in unique locations and developed a respect for each other's challenges and strengths. We travelled to Rome to a complete change of culture, spirituality and connection. We stayed in a beautifully restored monastery. This was a humbling experience. We visited the Vatican. This was extraordinary as we were ushered through the crowds up towards the podium and were seated in close proximity to Pope Francis. This experience was incredible as we listened to the papal blessings, including messages of hope, translated in multiple languages. We visited many cultural and holy sites in Rome, including the Basilica, the Sistine Chapel and the Colosseum. We enjoyed the Italian food and hospitality in between visiting some of the most remarkable cathedrals. One of our highlights was being permitted to visit Marcelin's statue in St Peter's Basilica, where Marcelin carries a child on his shoulders and another child beside him. Our understanding of Marcelin's work would be further developed when we travelled to the Hermitage in France. Our pilgrimage tour travelled to Geneva, Switzerland, sharing in the incredible hospitality at the General House, Marist International Solidarity Foundation. The General House was mainly Catholic relics and portraits of Marcelin. The brothers led our understanding of what a great man Marcelin was, showcasing some of his work and his commitments for vulnerable children, supported through education, advocacy and compassion. We departed Geneva and travelled to our final pilgrimage location, the Hermitage in France, via Anisi. The Hermitage is set in a peaceful country location, surrounded by a babbling stream, Alps and surrounding hamlets. Brother Michael Green facilitated incredible education of the history of the Hermitage and the life and spiritual vision of Marcelin. Our group sat in silence within Marcelin's bedroom, reflecting on his last days of life, as we listened to the flowing water and looked towards the Alps from his bedroom window. We visited the locations of where Marcelin was born and raised, including the original location of his family home. Our learnings were enriched by opportunities to reflect and critically analyse Marcelin's life and his work as a natural teacher and preacher who valued all people. We sat at the timber table in Lavalla and shared in the incredible, incredibly humbling experience. We visited many country hamlets and walked part of Marcelin's journey up mountains and across rivers. We imagined Marcelin trekking through the snow to visit less advantaged families with a heavy wet overcoat and poorly made shoes. We visited Notre Dame de Pierre Chapelle, Le Puy, Marles, Le Rosy, Le Palais, Le Basset and Le Chaparri. The common thread was Marcelin's consistent work his belief in the good in all and his advocacy for those less fortunate. Our pilgrimage journey ended in Fouvier in Lyon, built on the highest vantage point to be closest to God. The basilica was filled with Marist hearts adorning the walls, a constant reminder of Marist's works as we work with children and young people to support their development and self-determination so they may thrive. As the 2023 Marist pilgrimage came to a close, we stood united and recited the Fouvier Pledge, declaring our work will continue in Marcelin's honour. The pilgrimage experience was life-changing and will be held in a very special part of my memory. I will forever be grateful for the unique opportunity and thank all those who made 
this possible most graciously. Hello, Maris friends. This is Adam from Australian Maris Solidarity. This month, we visit Hanoi in Vietnam. In Vietnam today, there are more than 1 million visually impaired people who do not have adequate access to the care needed to live in dignity. The Training and Rehabilitation Centre for the Blind, TRCB, enhances the capacity of visually impaired people by equipping them with vocational skills and practical living skills. As an arm of the Vietnam Blind Association, the centre offers courses ranging from massage training, IT training, to women's rights and leadership. The program continues to help nearly 200 visually impaired people. This provides them with possible employment opportunities once graduated and allows for self-determination and better community integration. About the TRCB. Located in Hanoi, the TRCB offers three and a half month courses, including massage training, IT training, and courses in women's rights and leadership. The students live on site at the TRCB while completing the course. Since it opened in 1997, more than 63 courses have been run, training over 4,000 people. The TRCB designs programs to give people with visual impairment practical skills that allow them to become competent employees and more independent in their community. Many past students have resumed schooling and progressed to higher education. Others have joined jobs in their communities or are now employed by the regional chapters of the Vietnam Blind Association. The outcome of the training courses offered at TRCB are real, empowering and life-changing for the students. The TRCB employs 10 teachers, six of whom have visual impairments, while the director and vice-director are also visually impaired. With an annual budget of around 150,000 USD, the TRCB receives 40% from the Vietnamese government, but relies on external funding for the remainder. One three-and-a-half-month-long massage training course with 32 participants costs 16500 US dollars. An update. Thanks to the donations received during the 2022 AMS Christmas Appeal, TRCB will continue to implement classes and workshops throughout 2023 and 2024, and a class of traditional reflexology massage will be introduced. People living with vision impairment experience higher day-to-day costs than sighted people, making it difficult for them to uphold a decent standard of living. The continuation of such programs is vital in ensuring that persons living with an impairment are not further marginalised in Vietnam. If you'd like to tour more of AMS's programs, you can join us for our virtual programs visit on Tuesday the 22nd of August, 1 to 2 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, held on Zoom. You can find the link for registration in the latest edition of Christlife. To support projects like the TRCB, you might consider making a donation. You can find a button to donate in the latest edition of Christlife or via our website. This is Brother Michael Flanagan, the province archivist, reading the archive article for Christlife August 2023. This article is part two of the article written about the juniors at Mittagong in 1927, analysing a rare photo with many stories to tell. There are three daily boys in the picture. 
F. Daly, third from right, front row. Vincent Daly, fourth from left, front row. And Leo Daly, second from left, second row from front. All became brothers. One went on to be a priest. And their stories are told here. Again, as the stories were so well written in our necrology, they are reproduced here with minimal editing. Brother Egbert, Vincent Daly, 30 March 1915 to 21 August 1996. Vincent Daly was born in Hayfield in Gippsland, the second of the eight children of Joseph Daly and Margaret Mangan. One of his brothers was a Marist brother, William, known in religion as Brother Climacus. His story is related here as well. He entered the junior aid at Mittagong in 1927 at the age of 12. After taking his first vows in 1933, he began his teaching career at St Francis Xavier Hamilton, the first of 43 years in the classroom. Like many of the brothers of his time, Vincent was thrust into teaching subjects for which he was not prepared, like senior physics at East Brunswick, 1948 to 51. Maybe this was the reason he was magnanimous in assisting young brothers. He did his university studies at night after teaching all day and completed his BA in 1962 at Melbourne University at the age of 47. He excelled as a teacher, gaining the love and respect of his students for the thoroughness and quality of his teaching. After three times being in the position of acting principal, Vincent became principal at Bendigo, 69 to 74, before relinquishing the position due to ill health. His generosity towards his brothers, his interest and concern for his students, and his capacity to galvanise parent bodies and the wider community left a lasting impression on thousands of people. As a mark of their respect, the brothers of his province elected him as a delegate to the general chapter of 1958. A former student of his, the Governor-General Sir William Dean, St Joseph's College, 45 to 47, said of him he was an outstanding Marist. While he was at Macedon, 78 to 83, his efforts to find food, clothing and shelter for the many families who lost everything in the bushfires of 83, won him the title of the Spirit of Macedon, the, sorry, the Saint of Macedon. His spirituality was reflected in the way he approached life. He was motivated by a deep love of Mary and Champagne. As he grew in wisdom and age, he blended activity with contemplation the latter becoming more prominent as his body was able to do less. He was dogged with serious ill health from 1957 
when he spent five months in hospital with rheumatic fever. A cancerous melanoma gave rise to malignant tumours that ended his life aged 81. Hmm. Brother Regis, Leo Daly, 29 February 1912 to 10 February 1969. Leo Daly was born in Sydney on 29 February 1912. He and Brother Roderick Greenlees were recruited by Brother Walston, the first from Randwick School, arriving at Mittagong in February 1926. After profession in 1932, he taught at East Brunswick, Hawthorne and Kilmore. At Melbourne University, he majored in English and history. He was also at the junior aide at Mittagong, 46 to 51. Rosalie as director, 51 to 53. Ashgrove, 53 to 62 and Parramatta, 63 to 68. Wherever he taught, he was a devoted and exemplary religious and a patient, well-organised and capable teacher. Research into Australian history became his hobby and fine tributes were paid to him after his death by members of the Waverley Historical Society, which he addressed on several occasions. He died at the age of 56 of a cerebral haemorrhage. Brother Climacus, William Daly, 25 February 1917 to 3rd of May 1965. Vincent's brother, William, attended St. Patrick's College in Sale. He entered the Mittagong Junior Aid in 1931. His first appointment took him to Queensland, Rosalie for one year and Cairns for nine years, where he taught maths and science very successfully. During the war, the college had to be transferred to the Tablelands. Brother Climacus took on the responsible and dangerous task of driving to Cairns for supplies in those years of rationing. He spent a year at Maitland when the division of the provinces took him south to Glenelg, Camberwell and Sale. In 1957, at the second novitiate, Brother Klimika's health gave cause for anxiety. Returning to Australia, he was appointed Director of Sale for six years, though often in bad health and suffering a good deal. It was in 1965 that he went to St Vincent's Hospital. Despite the best attention, his case was beyond relief. Brother Klimikas was a true Marist, unassuming, courteous and friendly in manner, understanding and considerate of others, remarkably zealous in all phases of education. Indeed, his short life was completely dedicated to the Christian education of youth. He was a brother of Bishop Daly and of Brother Vincent Daly. He died in St Vincent's Hospital, Melbourne, at the age of 48. Francis Daly, brother Geoffrey, brother of Vincent and William. Francis Daly was born in 1914 and entered the junior aid in 1927, the age of 12. He 
He became Brother Geoffrey and taught in Mara schools from 1934 to 1965. He was a director at Parramatta, North Sydney, Hawthorne, Sale and Kilmore. He left the institute in 1965 to become a priest of the Diocese of Bathurst and died there in 1986. There are two Kenny boys in the photo. James Kenny, front row, last on the right, and Vincent Kenny, fifth row, sixth from the right. They were brothers, with Vincent following James to Mittagong, but deciding that his vocation was not as a brother. Brother Nihilus, James Kenny, 15 April 1911, 8 December 1999. Brother Nihilus was born in Bendigo on 15th of April 1911. He attended the brother's school there for his secondary education until responding to an invitation to consider joining the Maris brothers, he together with two friends entered the junior aid of Mittagong in June 1924. James received the habit on the 2nd of July 1929 and with it the religious name Brother Nihilus Bernard. A year later he took his first vows and then embarked on a remarkable career as a very able teacher, including the directorships of Bondi Beach, Camberwell, Subiaco and Macedon. As well, he was Master of Novices at Macedon, 1955 to 1964, and a member of the Provincial Council, 1953 to 62. Brother Nihilus was blessed with a warm personality, was very faithful to his religious and teaching duties, and had a special devotion to St. Therese of the Child Jesus. He taught mostly secondary classes, conducted choirs, was proficient in sport in his younger days, prepared his lessons meticulously, and was instrumental in moulding many young men in their formation as brothers. He was a person who inspired confidence and was very considerate of others, especially those who were most in need of a kind word or a helping hand. His love for Macedon was such that he desired that when the time came, he would be buried in the General Macedon Cemetery. His wish was granted. It's a pity that all the boys' stories can't be told. They could teach us so much. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed listening to these readings and that maybe you're inspired to join Morris Earth Movement or to participate in the next Timor-Leste English language program, to meet and gather with your fellow Morris in your local group and to continue in your own special way the work of St. Marcelin Champagne. Blessings to you all. Have a great day and we'll be back for the Christ Life September edition. St. Marcelin Champagne, pray for us. May we always remember to pray for one another.
Bye for now. Thank you.